Hi friends, welcome to the Psyche Mental Wellbeing Podcast with me, your host, Hannah. On the show, I'm joined each episode by an amazing guest to have an honest conversation, share our real life experiences and tackle stigma and misconceptions around mental health along the way. We believe that everyone would benefit from focusing a little more on their mental well-being, and we're here to support you to do just that. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Happy Wednesday. Uh, fingers crossed you're listening to this on Wednesday, which means that the tech has all played ball and uh, been okay. So um, hope you're having a good week so far. And before we dive into today's episode, which is a fab, fab episode, even if I do say so myself, a massive thank you to Ario who joined us on Monday when we were talking about designing lifestyle, de- designing our space and all of that great stuff. Um, but today we are joined by Terry and we have got some big topics that we're talking about. Terry does share her experience um, of trauma as a child and so a content warning that there is a discussion of rape and uh, sexual abuse. So um, a heads up in, to, to sort of check in with yourself if that is something that you're in the in the right headspace to, to hear and listen to today. Um, we are talking about... Um, boundaries we're talking about egoic responses learning to listen to your soul uh, forgiveness just so so many uh, big topics and I want to say a massive thank you before we dive into Terry for joining us and for sharing her story so graciously with us um, and um, yeah for the the awesome work that she is doing in the world so yeah let's just dive in because as I said fab fab conversation I really hope you enjoy it as much as I did and I'll be back super quickly at the end hi everyone and I'm really happy to welcome today's guest Terry to the podcast so Terry welcome and if you could tell us a little bit about yourself thank you Hannah for having me I'm happy to be here I'm Terry Kozlowski, and my story starts when I was a little girl. I was born into this world knowing exactly who I was, and I had a purpose, and I knew exactly what it was I was supposed to do in life. However, when we come into this world, we come into our first unknown, which is our family. And my mother was an alcoholic who became a drug addict, and she allowed three men to rape me at the age of 11 so she could have drugs. So that for me is my trauma event. That for me is the beginning place of my transcending story out of fear as because of that event. And then right after that, she abandoned my sister and I uh, on the, literally on the streets and we had to come home, which was 3000 miles away. So because of that, the mental state that I was in was fragile and when I came home and got off the plane and spoke to my dad, I actually asked for therapy, which for an 11 year old in 1980 was kind of unheard of. Most 11 year olds don't know what therapy is. And in my opinion, shouldn't know what therapy is. And for me, I delved into going to therapy and I was in therapy until I graduated high school uh, for two reasons. One, I think my family did not know what to do with me. And they thought if I was in therapy, I was safe. And in some respects, that is true, because I think that if they would have seen any covert signs, it would have been caught quickly. But I did, because of the the trauma, go into depression. And that is 
an understatement. Uh, I wallowed there for years because the one thing that I kept going back to was why me? Why did this happen to me? What did I do to cause this? There was lots of shame and lots of blame going on. And that's completely understandable. And especially when you're 11, you don't have the language to communicate to others what happened, what you're feeling, because you don't know what this feeling is. You don't understand these emotions. And I don't think that therapy really helped me because we never did talk about the rape. We talked about the abandonment briefly. But part of that is because in the early 80s, they didn't know what to do with child sexual victims. They were, it was something new. It was, although what the abuse had been generational, so that's always been, but understanding and trying to deal and trying to help these young victims was something new in the field. And to, to put it in perspective, when Oprah Winfrey came out on her show, that she was sexually abused as a child. That was the first time I heard of anybody other than me being sexually abused. So I had a quick identity. Oh my gosh, there's somebody out there like me. And that helped. That helped me realize I wasn't alone. And we think we're alone. We always feel that we're alone. And when we find somebody who shares an experience with us, even a traumatic one, it brings us closer to understanding that we're all connected and all our pain and all our trauma is all connected and how you feel and how I feel matters. Whether or not you've shared the same experiences I do, your feelings matter and my feelings matter. So that is the crux of my underlying story. And interestingly, I went from being in a depression to a complete other side of becoming extremely anxious and being medicated for anxiety. Um, so it's interesting how our mind works. It's interesting how we can allow our egoic responses, allow those defense mechanisms to guide us through how we deal and cope with things. And so I went to complete other end of the spectrum. And in my um, high college years, I was medicated for anxiety. Well, Terry, thank you so much for sharing um, your story with us there. And yeah, the mind. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, where can we start with the mind and, and how it works? But yeah, thank you so much for sharing and um, being open about your story. Because as you said, when you heard opera saying it and realizing that you weren't alone it's it can be so powerful to share stories but difficult I imagine to to share from your own experience so I really appreciate you um sharing that with us thank you I well I don't know but I imagine that the that process of recovery if that's the right phrase or coming to terms with that experience and getting to the point you're at now where you can talk about it must have been challenging is very an understatement. That's a good word. That's a good word. <laughs> very an understatement. But how did you, how, how did you, uh, make, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't know if recovery is the right word. I don't know what, what word you would use to describe it, but acceptance, how, acceptance, acceptance, mm. because the reality is it doesn't matter what happens to us in life. 
what happened to you and how you look at what your past is, it's really about accepting what occurred. And when we accept what occurred instead of fighting against it or wallowing in it or being worried about whatever's coming in the future and being present in this moment allows for us to understand and move forward with what it is we want. So my next step in my journey really was in college. I had I was very open with people, not so much that I was sexually abused, but that there was a trauma that occurred because I had triggers. If you came up behind me and tapped me on the shoulder, I came around ready to punch you. (laughs) So because of my triggers, I was very open with people of what not to do so that we did not have an altercation of any kind. And my bad reactions weren't something that I wanted somebody else to experience because they didn't know, they were unaware. So I felt from a very young age that I was responsible in how other people reacted to me. But in college, I had a conversation with a friend of mine. He actually told me that I got something out of being a victim. I got very angry with that statement, but something else occurred. Something in me thought, hmm, there's something in that. What what exactly is that? So I thought about it. I journaled about it. And what I came up with was I was getting something out of being the victim. Because when you really take hold of your victimhood and you say, yes, I'm a victim. And sadly, some of us get proud in our victimhood. It does two things. It really makes people react to you differently. And they walk on eggshells. They're very gentle and kind. They're trying not to trigger you. But more importantly, for lots of people, they just leave you alone. And that's what I wanted. From the time I came back from that trip until I was 18 years old, I just wanted to be left alone. If I was left alone, I couldn't be triggered. If I was left alone, I could wallow in my depression. I could feed all that anxiety I could control how I was feeling and it was everybody left me alone. So that day I decided that there had to be a better way for me to communicate to others that I wanted to be left alone and not identify with this negative victimology. So that day I purposely decided to become a survivor. And when you become a survivor, two things happen. Number one, it's very empowering Because now you are responsible for moving forward. You can't blame the past. You can't blame the people who caused your pain for your future or anything that's coming about because you are making those decisions for yourself. So that empowerment helped me see the second aspect of that, which was when you become a survivor, responsibility is now on me. And a lot of times when you're a victim, you don't take responsibility for anything. Now, I'm not saying that you're responsible for what happened. What I'm saying is from this moment forward, I'm responsible for the decisions I make. I'm responsible for the poor reactions I have. I'm responsible for the proper responses I have. And that if I'm responsible for those things moving forward, that means it empowers me to create my future. And my mother and the people who harmed me no longer have any say in what happens in my future. 
Yeah, that's so powerful. Um, it made me think of a quote from, um, I don't know if you've read The Choice by Edith Eager, who's, yeah. she um, survived Auschwitz um, during the Holocaust. And she sort of says, when you are trying to prove something to people or when you are, there, there's something that someone's done and it ha- still has that power over you, you're a prisoner in your own mind that mm-hmm. you've created that prison for yourself. Anytime there's, there's anything um, like that and you kind of have to I'm very brutally um, that misquoting <laughs> or extending the quote but you kind of have to let it go otherwise you are still in a prison basically that's my definition of forgiveness is that forgiveness is about releasing the past so not because of anything that they've done to ask for forgiveness my mother never asked me to forgive her for what she did But I had to forgive her so that I wasn't tied and that for me, I was more important than her and her past and what she did to me. So I was no longer tied to that prison. I was no longer bound by what her actions did. I was free now to move forward. But if you stay, if you don't forgive, if you stay tied to that past, you don't move on. You don't move forward. You don't live the life that you were supposed to live. You don't live a life that you create because you're stuck. You can't move forward. And was that decision to to forgive so that you can move forward? Was it something you made that decision and you just kind of went with it? Or is it something that comes back up of um, I'm forgiving and... Um, forgiving, forgiving is a process because yeah. it's one thing to say, okay, I forgive her for abandoning me. I forgive her for allowing three men to rape me so she could have drugs. It's one thing to forgive that, but because it was a one-time event. But as you move forward in relationship, there are other things that come up. And my mother was an alcoholic all her life. And she kept interfering in my life or trying to interfere in my life and cause me angst because she would call drunk and she was the meanest drunk I ever knew and blamed me for everything bad in her life. I was the reason she was an alcoholic. However, she drank before I was born. I was the reason my dad divorced her. Technically, she left my dad. I was the reason that she didn't have, that my dad had custody of us when the reality is she didn't show up to the hearing to fight for us. So all these things that she projected onto me were things that I either could take on, which I did for a period of time. And then at some point I realized I had to set some personal boundaries with her. And that was the hardest. Setting those personal boundaries is harder than forgiving her because there are an extra layer of things that happen with the egoic mind concerning others. And, you know, there's that whole, the ego doesn't want us other people not to like us. The ego doesn't want people to reject us. So there's that whole underlying aspect of the ego, but also there was a cultural way of dealing with, you're supposed to honor thy mother and thy father. So I grew up in a church and that was very prominent about honoring your mother and father. And whether or not you are in a church or not, you respect your parents. I mean, that's a very cultural based uh, globally. You respect your parents and somebody in the church, this would have been, you know, all my angst started when I was 11. I was 28 when I heard this 
from somebody in the church, which was, yes, you're to honor your mother and father, but that doesn't mean that you allow them to hurt you. And I thought, well, that's profound. And why did it take so long for somebody to tell me that (laughs) so that I could, so it wasn't until that moment that I thought, okay, now I don't have, I can stop her from hurting me, but how do I do that? What do I need to do? And personal boundaries aren't something that most of us are taught how to do. It's not something parents teach their children. These are the personal boundaries that you need to put up. What happens is we are instilled with fear of the unknown. We're instilled with of fear for strangers. But how do everybody we meet is a stranger? So there's something wrong with that analogy. It's one thing when you're protecting small children. It's a whole nother thing when, you know, you're still trying to protect people, but not protect them through fear, protect them through love, protect them in teaching them how to set personal boundaries. So the first personal boundary I tried setting with my mother was I would talk to her if she wasn't drunk. So that was the first one. Mom, if you're drunk, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm going to hang up the phone. And the first time I had to do that was the hardest thing I ever had to do because as I'm hanging up the phone and I'm plugging it from the wall, when phones used to belong in the walls instead of in your hand, um, I broke down. I was crying. And that voice in my head, honor thy mother and father. I wasn't doing that. And I had to remind myself that I was protecting myself It was an act of self-love, an act of self-care, and I was protecting my family at that point because if I'm in an emotional basket case, that's not helping them in any way over something that can easily be stopped. I just don't have to listen to her when she's drunk. So that was the first personal boundary I set in place, and it was harder to do than the forgiveness aspect. Yeah, I am. I'd love to dive into assessing personal boundaries more because it's definitely something I agree that we're not taught apart from through that that fear aspect. And when you were saying about the egoic, not wanting people to not like you, that is definitely that definitely resonated uh, for me. Um, because they are they are so difficult to set, aren't they? To to set that boundary, is it just because of the ego kind of responding and go, oh, we can't do that. It's, it's a twofold process. Um, part of it, I really think for me was self-worth. I did not believe I was worthy of love. If my mother didn't love me enough to protect me or to abandon me, who in the world is going to think that I'm worth anything? So our worthiness is tied up in how we allow other people to treat us. So that's one aspect of it. So when we, be, when we realize that we are worthy just because we're here, just because we were born, we are worthy. And then the next step of that is when, when you allow other people to mistreat you, you're teaching them ways to continue that pattern. So when you first meet somebody and you are not a hugger, and I wasn't a hugger, so I would put out my hand and you know, want them to shake hands and they would try to hug me and I'm like, no, nah, we're going to shake hands. And then over time, I became a hugger. And so now I'm careful because I will let them approach me. And if I come with arms open, ready for a hug and they put their hand out, I'm perfectly fine with shaking their hands. I understand their boundaries, but it takes time for us to learn how to do that. We all know how to set them. 
if we actually look at things. So if you have a sibling, you absolutely know how to set personal boundaries because this is mine, that is yours. And you didn't, you know, violate this space and how dare you wear my shirt, you know, all of that. We know how to set them with our siblings. So if we have siblings, we've set them in the past. We just don't acknowledge them in other relationships because the ego comes in and says, is, has a fear of rejection, has a fear of not being liked, wants everybody to like us. So we do things to harm ourselves to make somebody else like us. But the reality is this, everybody, when you ask them, do you want me to be authentically me? I've never asked that question. Had, it, had anybody say, oh no, I want you to be something I want. Everybody wants you to be authentic with them. But the first thing we have to do then is be authentic with them as well. Authenticity breeds authenticity. Because if I'm honest and I am who I am with you right now, Hannah, and you are honestly who you are with me, we're going to make that connection. We're going to be able to have a fabulous conversation. And the audience will absolutely know that we are being authentic with them. And that is how we help heal one another. That is how we love one another. That's how we get over the egoic mind and understand that the ego has a purpose. And it's not about saying the ego is bad. It's about understanding what that purpose is. And the ego's purpose is to protect us. And when we have trauma, it goes into overdrive. And my ego went into overdrive. It puts up self-defense mechanism. It does all kinds of things to protect us. So for example, I was raped by three Hispanic men. So during high school and college, Hispanic men, anytime I saw one, <gasps> I got angst and I would go to the other side of the street. I, I would avoid them at all costs because my ego is saying, hey, there's Hispanic men. They hurt you in the past. So when I got into the workforce, it was a whole different story because now I had to work with Hispanic men. And I learned that Hispanic men are very loving affectionate, compassionate people. And so I've had more positive experiences now, the negative. So now, even now, if I walk down the street, my ego will say, there's a Hispanic man. It won't point out any other kind of men, just Hispanic men, because of my trauma. And because of that, I can say to the ego, I've had more positive experiences than negative experiences, and I dismiss that. But we have to acknowledge that the ego's doing its job. We had trauma. It's trying to protect us from further trauma. Whether or not it's justifiable now is for us to determine. It's our responsibility to say, I can dismiss this. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I wonder whether we sometimes maybe listen to the ego too much and then and avoid situations. But I wonder if we also sometimes just try and dismiss it and, and go the other way and whether that's also holding us back in some way to just try and like not listen to it and, and not listen to the um the kind of warning that it's giving us that kind of protection signal so there's two voices that talk the ego and the soul and the ego is the loud obnoxious trying to get your attention hey hey pay attention to me the soul's the exact opposite the soul is quiet the soul whispers to us and the only way to hear the soul is to get quiet. And when we get quiet, whether it's through meditation or journaling or however, taking a walk in the woods, when we get quiet and we listen to the soul, 
our direction and our path become very clear because the soul is always going to steer us in the direction that is beneficial for our growth and expansion. It's never going to put us in harm's way. The ego, however, can put us in harm's way in its overprotection status. For example, when we get fearful, we tend to isolate ourselves, which is absolutely the worst thing for anybody with any sort of um, depression or anxiety. The more you isolate, the more depressed and the more anxious you get. We need that human connection. Our brain is wired for that human connection. And when we, if and if just one person, and that one person can make a diff- whole lot of difference in your life. I had that one person in high school. Her name is Susie. And had it not been for her, I would not have had any sort of semblance of what a normal high school experience would have been. She drug me to football games. She drug me to cheerleading competitions. She drug me to the movies. She drug me to um, the drama at school. She was the, re- and dances. She was the reason I did all of that. Had it not been for her, I'd have been at home by myself, isolated. And because of her, it allowed me to grow in a way that I would never have wanted to do by myself. So it is something that is very beneficial for us to be able to make those connections and not isolate ourselves. Yeah. I was just thinking as you were saying that I'm someone, if if my mood is low and, and I've experienced periods of depression before, I tend to isolate and mm-hmm sometimes instead of saying oh it's like some self-care that I need to you know retreat because it's so draining and and sometimes maybe that's true and sometimes maybe it's it's not it's that kind of egoic response and and if you get quiet you'll be able to tell what it is Mm. in in the quietness you'll be able to say oh this is self-care or in the quiet will be it will be oh you're depressed because the soul will always tell you the truth it never lies to you and if you ask it will answer yeah, I'm definitely going to take that on board and tune into my into myself um, and listen. Uh, so with with um, setting boundaries, and you mentioned that first boundary that you set with your mom being so difficult to to enforce that boundary. How do you find it now? Do you have any kind of advice for us for when we have boundaries and if someone is overstepping them, how we can, I guess, reinforce that boundary and and communicate it to people. Part of it is being very honest with people, making sure that they understand what that boundary is. And for example, um, it's much easier in the workplace than it is in in personal relationships because that boundary is you can contact me between, you know, 7 a.m. and and 6 p.m. and I will communicate back with you Monday through Friday. But outside of that, I'm unavailable and you won't hear from me. You can try, but I'm not going to respond. So it's understanding what those boundaries are. With our interpersonal relationships, it's much, much harder because we love that person. We want to help that person and they need our help and we could, we can help them. So it's all of that other angst that comes up. Some of it is egoic based, but if we get quiet and I'm going to keep going back to getting quiet, if we get quiet and we pause before we actually respond a lot of times we will be able to determine that moving forward 
with a correct response instead of reacting to a situation. Lots of times in personal relationships, we, we will react to something from an emotional place instead of pausing. And that couple second pause is all you need to be able to respond properly because it allows the mind to take a break. And that little break is all it needs to say, okay, I need to look at this from a different perspective. I, did I get all the information? He's yelling and screaming, but at the same time, there's tears in his eyes. There's something else going on here. Instead of, you know, getting all riled up, actually pausing and determining what is the situation here? Is there something else going on? And normally what you know, anger in public is acceptable, but anger in public is a sign of pain. And I think lots of us react with anger when we're hurt instead of reacting hurtful where people can see the vulnerability and respond in some way that will actually be beneficial to us. Yeah. And you use the word vulnerability there, which is what, what came to my mind that actually if we're saying to someone, you've hurt me, that just feels so scary to do whereas actually anger is a I don't know it's still actually I I think for a lot of people it's a difficult one it can be to name it and say I'm angry will be I'm irritated or I'm I'm frustrated when actually maybe it's (laughs) it's anger but it's easier to use that than to to say I'm hurt Mm -hmm. yeah a lot of people what people will react to things negatively People react to things um, angrily. And when they do that, it's very, very different than understanding that they are hurt. And pain is not something that we tend to share with others. Um, Anything that is sad or anything that shows our vulnerability is something we hide. The ego hides. Because the ego doesn't want us to say, oh, somebody could poke us here. The reality is when you share vulnerability, you will see compassion pour out of other people, especially if you have made that authentic connection with them. Yeah, I was just thinking about the the soul there and that, you know, maybe when you're sharing that experience, it's the soul kind of, you know, speaking, you know, rather than the ego. Yeah. The ego tends to show negativity. The soul tends to show positivity. The soul tends to be the vulnerable. The soul tends to be authentic. The ego rarely is authentic. The ego normally is reactionary. The soul responds. Yeah. Yeah. It's that react versus respond and that Mm -hmm. taking that time to pause, um, which I think it's one of those things that it sounds, it can sound like, yeah, that makes, that makes sense. And it can sound quite simple, but I think sometimes the things that sound simple <laughs> actually put them <laughs> in practice, sometimes they aren't. Do you ever find that, I've, I find this sometimes with things that I, I talk about a lot on the podcast. I know them, sometimes I can do them, and sometimes I don't. And I'll realize, oh, that would have been the time to pause and respond. Do you find that that happens for you? I think that during the journey, Absolutely. That was the case because, and and everybody does it because when you're in the heat of something and then three days later you you come, you realize you had the, now you have the perfect response to that, you know, because we've replayed that over and over and over again in our head. That's also a sign that the ego is in control. 
if you keep replaying that over and over in your head and not release it, not let it go, that means that you're holding on to, you're attached to some sort of outcome, you're attached to some sort of belief or um, unhealthy attachment to um, whatever that situation is, that outcome. When we detach from it, which doesn't mean we don't care, doesn't mean we don't love, what it means is that we allow the universe to provide us with the best solution. We allow the universe to show us different possibilities. We allow the universe to show us the way that we are supposed to grow and expand. If we settle and we attach to an outcome, we hold, you know, we tie the hands of the universe by saying that's the only acceptable outcome. I'm pretty sure there's a lot more better outcomes that we just haven't thought of. And if we let it be, if we let it go, we will, we will most likely have a better outcome than we anticipated. Yeah. It feels like there's a real sense of like trust with the universe, the responsibility you mentioned that kind of being really present and, and listening to ourselves and, and maybe being really honest with ourselves as well about, are we in that victim mode? Is it the ego? Is it, you know, what's going on? Um, I don't know if there's anything else that, you know, that about the ego or about responsibility or boundaries that you'd like to share with us. Cause I mean, this is such amazing. <laughs> so personally, I'm <laughs> taking so much from this. Um, if you have any, any other uh, insights or um, anything you want to share. When we accept what is, which is what the ego struggles against. So the reality comes down to there is a set of circumstances that we are currently living in our lives or circumstances or we find ourselves in a situation we don't like. But if we accept whatever the circumstances are, it moves us forward in two ways. Number one, we're not struggling against it. So any angst, any negative emotions disappear. They just aren't. And the second thing it does is it brings us into the present moment. And also what happens in the present moment is there is no anger. There is no angst. All is well in the present moment. This present moment is the perfect moment in time. It is when we are depressed, we're living in the past. When we're anxious, we're living in the future. In the present moment, everything is fine. So a lot of us try to live in places that we don't belong. We don't belong in the past. We're not supposed to be in the future. We're supposed to be in this present moment. And the ego in the present moment doesn't have control. The soul does. The ego is controlling the past and the ego controls the future because that's where it lives. But if you stay in the present moment, the ego can't live there. Oh, that's so powerful. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking, you know, I think I need to have a word with my ego. because <laughs> <laughs> um, I often uh, live a lot of the time in the past or the or the future and actually when I am just in the now and in flow just it's so much better <laughs> it is it is now is the perfect moment in time mm. now there's nothing wrong now every everything is full of love everybody's being authentic but when we allow the ego to take us into the past we wallow we get depressed if we allow the ego to take us into the future we're anxious and we're attached to things we shouldn't be attached to. But in the present moment is the only time we can be in flow. So when you hear about athletes, when you hear about people say, you know, I was in such a flow state, it only happens when they're fully present. And that can, and it can happen for everybody. All creative beings, which we all are, create 
when we're in flow. And the only time we can be in flow is in the present moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much, Terry. I mean, I'd love to just talk all night about, <laughs> about this, <laughs> but I have some set questions I ask everyone that comes on and I'd love to hear your thoughts on these. Sure. And, yeah, and the first one is what brings you joy in your life? What brings me joy in my life is me. Joy, I believe, is something that is a characteristic of the soul. We all have joy within us. And joy rises out of us in the present moment. And for me, anything that I'm doing that I'm being fully present for brings me joy. So this conversation with you, Hannah, is bringing me great joy today. And as long as I stay in the present moment and I'm understanding that my purpose is to be fully authentic and fully present, then joy flows. That's amazing. And this is bringing me joy as well. So, Wonderful. <laughs> so my, my next question is what makes life meaningful for you? So my meaning in life, my mission, my purpose is to help other um, victims of trauma overcome. I've been through the pit of despair and I've come out the other side and it's taken me a long time to do so. And my mission in life is to be the bridge between victimhood and thriving. And my book, Raven Transcending Fear, is my story that outlines that bridge. And I believe anybody can can cross that bridge very simplistically that I've outlined It does require some inner work. It does require understanding and awareness and understanding your ego and understanding your triggers so that you can alter your perspective. So you can reframe how you tell the stories of your life so that instead of saying and identifying as the victim, you are now talking about surviving and thriving as a survivor. Amazing. And we'll, um, at the end, give people more details about the book and where they can find it. And I'm definitely going to check it out. So, um, yeah, my, yeah, my next two questions are around our overarching topic on the podcast, which is mental wellness. So the first one is what does mental wellness mean to you? Mental wellness means that we are being our authentic self, because if we are not being our authentic selves, if we're wearing masks, if we're wearing armor, That's hiding who we are and ultimately making us miserable and not good for our well-being, not good for our mental state. When we're vulnerable, although the ego thinks it's very scary to do so, but when we are vulnerable, we actually make those human connections and we actually find out that there are other people out there just like us, that we're all connected, that everything that we thought was fearful about one another is actually the same fears we all share. And that's okay for us to understand that really and truly our DNA says that we are 99.9% identical. That 0.1% is that exterior surface that I have darker skin than Hannah. I have gray hair and Hannah has blonde hair. And, you know, so all of that, I have darker skin than Hannah does, but that doesn't matter because everything else about us is exactly the same. And we're more alike than we are different. And what people really need to grab a hold of for their mental wellness is to understand that we're all one. We're all connected. And being authentically ourselves is the best way to be mentally well. That's so beautiful. Thank you for that. And my follow-up 
um and and it might be about um the kind of authenticity and and all all kind of more general day-to-day but my follow-up is always how you look after your own mental well-being so i have several self-care practices and self-care was something i had to learn to do because when you are a victim of trauma and and you don't understand that you have self-worth then self-care isn't something you actually think about because it's all about your codependency. It's all about helping others. It's all about all this other outside stuff and not yourself. So for me, when you talk about self-care, you talk about making sure that everything for you is well so that you can then help those around you. So I have a morning routine. The first hour of my day belongs to me and it's nobody interferes with that. And I meditate and I journal and I write I am statements. I say mantras and I ground myself so that I start my day in a positive place with full intention of having a positive day. And when I do that, I don't have any, it doesn't matter what circumstances come up. I stay grounded. I keep my peace and I maintain my joy. Brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and so my next question is sometimes a challenge, but uh, we've used this word a few times. So we'll see. Uh, how would you describe your own mindset? I have a growth mindset, but I think I've always had a growth mindset. Over the course of my life, I've always wanted to learn. I've always wanted to seek improvement. So for me, I have a growth mindset. And what that means is I'm always looking to improve and better myself. I'm always looking to learn. I'm always looking to find a way to help others. And whatever I need to learn to do along that path, I'm willing to do. So having a growth mindset means I'm never bored. I'm never, uh, I don't spend a lot of time watching television. I don't spend any time watching the news. My social media activity is very slim because I am more focused on my soul growth and my soul expansion and my mission to help others. So for me, that is where I move as far as my mindset goes. Brilliant. Thank you. My next question is my, one of my favorite ones to ask because I'm, I'm really curious and we like to leave, well, me and the, and the listeners as well with some top tips. And I know that already there's been so much amazing stuff that you've shared with us, but do you have a top one to three tips of things that you'd recommend that we try out in our lives kind of day to day that could have a massive impact? Number one, I am statements. I believe that the term I am is very, very powerful for our self-talk. And we say all kinds of things. I'm so tired. Or, you know, or I'm, you know, I'm sick in my stomach. I'm tired of this. And all those negative I am statements that we say, we need to transform them into something else. So every morning I have a little, a little book that I write a full page of I am statements. And they're positive statements, you know, things like I am well rested. Because lots of times we say we're tired. And we need to start off reminding ourselves that we slept, we're well rested, we're healthy, list those things that we want in our lives. You know, I have, I am positively minded. I am a master of time. I'm in a constant flow state. I am aware that my past has made me into something wonderful. So those statements that we can take and put them into a positive way for us to start talking to ourselves with love. And I am statements are a great way to do that. Number two, journaling. 
Now I journal very differently than most people journal. So journaling to me is not about, um, I did this and I did that. And, you know, we went here and we had a great time. That's not how I journal. My journaling is I'm thankful. There's gratitude. I start off with gratitude. So normally there's a full page of gratitude. I'm thankful for what happened yesterday. And I go through specific things. Then there's a page about starting this new day and understanding that um, more, probably some more I am statements. And then the third page is about my intentions for the day or my intentions for if I'm working on a project, my intentions for that project, so that I'm very mindful of what it is I'm creating in this day. So journaling is the second thing. And the third thing is meditation. And again, for me, that is getting quiet, listening to my soul's whispers, and allowing my soul to speak to me in a way that I can hear it and understand that I'm being guided in the direction I'm to go. Brilliant. Thank you for sharing those. Um, my next question, again, it's another uh, rec- well, it's a, a recommendation rather than a top tip. Uh, so I love to read and, and to learn and, you know, and all of those things. So do you have a book that has been really impactful in your life that you would recommend to us? The book is called Return to Love by Marianne Williamson. It is the book that started me down my path and my journey to under fully comprehending that I'm worthy. And for most of us, especially women, our worthiness gets tied up into others and not really just because of who we are. And Return to Love talks about two main things, which is worthiness and understanding that love is a miracle. And we have a choice to see the world through the eyes of love or through the eyes of fear, through the eyes of the soul or through the eyes of the ego. And I consciously choose every day to see through the eyes of love. And that's one of my, my, I am statements. I am today. I am seeing through the eyes of love and that reinforces that ability for us to respond from a loving place instead of reacting out of fear. Brilliant. Thank you so much. I'm definitely going to check that one out. Um, And that brings us to my final question, Terry, which is where people can connect with you. I know you'd mentioned your book, but if you can remind us of the details and just where we can find you. So you can find me at terrykozlowski.com. The, I have a podcast called So Solutions, and you can look that up at soulsolutionspodcast.com or on any um, podcasting channels that you listen to. And my book, Raven Transcending Fear.com, is about my life story and about me overcoming and transcending the fear that ultimately plagued me for over 20 years because of the trauma that I suffered. It's also available on Amazon. Perfect. Thank you so much. And we'll absolutely link in the show notes so people can find you you. nice and easily from there. Terry, thank you so much for joining me. I've I've really um, just got so much personally from (laughs) hearing you speak. Uh, And I really appreciate you taking the time to join us and to share your story with us. So thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me, Hannah. I had a nice time with you today. So a massive thank you again to Terry for joining us. Um, And yes, I hope you have enjoyed the episodes this week, the the conversations with Aria and with Terry. I've had a great week. Um, I've uh, 
back in the swing of recording interviews again, which is great. Um, and we've got another couple of weeks of August with the two episodes a week before remember in September, we're dropping down to one episode a week. Um, I'm starting my counselling course um, and also to be honest, also prioritising my self-care a little bit because I want to make sure that we're putting out good quality episodes, amazing conversations, but also not kind of getting burnt out and overwhelmed. And I, I, I really think that this sort of drop back down to one episode means that we can make sure that we're putting out a good quality episode that you will enjoy listening to. Um, I will enjoy making. And um, also if you're catching up on episodes, because I know that can be difficult if you've got lots of stuff going on and lots that you're listening to to kind of stay up to date with listening so that's happening in September but we're definitely not going anywhere just uh once a week on Monday we'll put out an episode but we've still got a couple more weeks of two episodes a week so next week we'll be back Monday morning um with a new episode until then I hope you have a fantastic rest of your week find time for some play uh, for some creativity, some joy in your life, uh, be curious. Um, I just recorded an interview and curiosity came up, which I love because that's one of my buzzwords, as is joy. You know, where, wherever you are, I just hope that you are doing okay, that you have got something out of this episode, and I would love to hear what you've taken away. So please do connect with me. Um, you can message me via the website, www.psyche.co.uk, psyche, P-S-Y-K-H-E. Uh, or connect with me across social media at Psyche Coaching. Um, I always love to hear from you. But yeah, that's it from me this week. Massive thank you to both guests this week. I feel like I've said that a lot of times, but cannot thank them enough. I also can't thank you enough for tuning in and for listening and for supporting the show. Uh, so until next week, as always, take care of yourself, be kind to yourself, and I'll speak to you soon. Bye for now. <laughs>